Welcome to another episode of the Coal Region Campfire. We have a great episode today. Uh, Jake Wynn, um, if you go to his website, Winning History, W-Y-N-N-I-N-G, history.com. Great website, great local website. Uh, I reached out to him. I know he listened to the podcast. I reached out to him about talking with the Molly McGuire's, and you will not be uh, disappointed. Um, The amount of knowledge he knows is is so far above my head, Um, but he was able to answer every question, and I'm coming at it from an an angle where I don't know much about the Molly McGuire's. I know, you know, the general history of it. I wouldn't even say general, Uh, but after uh, interviewing with him, uh, I definitely know a lot more. Uh, He's incredibly knowledgeable. He has a great website, so make sure you go to that. Um, I'm sure you've actually even seen it uh, being shared on Facebook. Um, But we have a great episode with the Molly Maguires. I promise you're going to learn some stuff, um, and it's super interesting. I'm not even Irish. I'm Italian, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, So, I mean, what does that tell you? But uh, before we get to them, real quick, you guys know that we have two sponsors now, the original, Darren J. March. You know the whole routine. Any questions about retirement, reach out to them. Um, And also... uh, Actually, I'll just put uh, Darren's number in the uh, app uh, so you don't have to write it down while you're driving. Um, and then also Cackle. You guys know the deal with Cackle. You see them everywhere. Well, now they're on the podcast, and they are a sponsor. Um, so, again, feel free to share this, like it uh, on iTunes. Obviously, the more likes, the better. Um, review it, rate it, whatever you need to do. And now on to Jake. Jake Wynn, uh, winninghistory.com, uh, somewhat of a, uh, what I consider you a local historian. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that that's, uh, that's fair. Okay. So I, I found you, um, I know you listen to the podcast and then I, I saw a bunch of people were sharing, uh, your article on the Molly Maguires and I've been looking for someone to kind of talk about the Molly Maguires. So I reached out to you, obviously, you know, you're gracious enough to join us. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to approach this conversation from someone who doesn't really know a lot about the Molly Maguires. I know that, you know, they were hung at the, at the prison and, you know, I know I, I'm a, I'm Italian. So, you know, I know in Irish culture, uh, you know, they're, they're huge and they're heroes. Uh, so I'm coming at it from a different viewpoint in terms of like, I don't really know a lot. So I guess my first question is, and, and for the listeners out there. Like, who were the Molly Maguires? How did they start? I mean, could you give us kind of an abbreviated Cliff Notes version of, of, of how they came about? Yeah, it's, uh, um, first of all, thank you for, for having me. This is, uh, it's, it's great. I've been listening to the podcast now for a couple of months, awesome. and I'm, I'm glad I had a, been invited to, to come on board and talk a little bit about this. Um, but, uh, you know, with the Molly Maguires, there's so, so much uh, myth associated with this. And that, that is, you know, myth that goes back even to the 1870s when this is going on. Um, but the traditional story about, about the Molly Maguires, this is a group of, uh, of Irish, uh, immigrants who came to the United States in the, um, in the aftermath of the famine in, uh, in, in Ireland in the 1840s. Uh, they come to the United States in the 1850s and the 1860s. And they, uh, in this traditional telling, uh, they band together in the 1860s and 1870s and, and become almost like what is 
has been called like America's first terrorist organization, or um, alternatively, uh, they're called freedom fighters fighting for Irish rights. Um, and what is uh, what is most interesting about this this group, and they 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 are alleged to have commit uh, committed uh, lots of murders, assaults, uh, arson. Uh, they they are really the the boogeymen of the of the coal region in the uh, in in the mid 19th century. Uh, but when you really start to dive into the into their story, into the history around the Molly Maguires, you find that the story is a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as is most history, uh, when you when you really dive into it and you start looking at these people and who they were and the circumstances that they were living in. And, uh, and that's really what my, what my blog post and what I'm trying to do with my blog with Winning History is to dive a little bit deeper into the stories that we're so familiar with in the, in the coal region uh, and talk a little bit more about who these people were, what their motivations were, and what actually happened. Um, kind of bust some of these myths um, about, um, about these events that are so, you know, touchstones of, of our, of our culture in that area. So were they kind of fighting for like, like Irish miners rights? Is that kind of thing? Or just, or just Irish, uh, immigrants rights in general? So in the, in this, uh, in this telling, um, they are mostly Irish mine workers or are associated with mine workers, either they, they had been previously, or, um, you know, some, there's a blacklist that's operated by a lot of these, these mining companies. Um, and in that telling is that, yeah, they're, they're fighting for both, uh, a fair shake for the Irish. And we can, we could definitely, uh, get a little bit deeper into exploring that, I think as a, as a topic here. Um, but also for for miners' rights in, in general, um, this this time period is uh, just as the first labor organizations are trying to get started, the first miners' unions um, are are getting started, and and they're crushed um, by the railroad companies and mining companies in the 1870s. And so this is like a uh, this violence is kind of in this telling is the recourse, it's the revenge for. Uh, for their, you know, for these Irish mine workers who don't get a fair shake, who are who are suffering, um, whose families are suffering uh, in in some pretty brutal conditions in in the coal region. So, what did their like advocacy look like? I mean, would they go and kind of just do like a, a public uh, announcement, that kind of stuff? Or, or I mean, back in eighteen seventies, like on a, on a soapbox, or were they going and kind of negotiating with these, you know, mining companies. I mean, what, 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 what did that look like back in the 1870s? Yeah. So let's, let's, um, so, so I kind of talked a little bit about the, about the kind of myth, mythical, uh, sure. Molly Maguire's and that term comes from, comes from, um, you know, back in Ireland, a, a group of kind of revolutionaries who are going against the English system back in Ireland. Um, and that term gets adopted actually not by the Irish themselves, but by, uh, newspaper correspondents and, and editors in Pottsville who start calling <clears throat> violent offenders, <clears throat> sorry, in the 1850s and 1860s with an Irish background starts calling them Molly Maguires or say that they subscribe to Molly Maguireism, which basically means that, you know, they're, they're being violent. Um, there's a lot of alcohol involved and they're subscribing to what they were doing in, in the old country. Um, but as for as for what's actually you know what's actually taking place, and I think this is a good point to to talk a little bit about labor organization um, in in the coal region at this time. So mm-hmm. in the 1850s and the 1860s, uh, there is very little organization amongst miners, especially in Schuylkill County. Uh, if you look at Schuylkill County, um, mine workers were almost 
<clears throat> very similar to like contractors. Um, each of these little collieries or coal mines across Schuylkill County, there were hundreds of them. Um, <clears throat> each of them were, were independently owned. And this is actually on the, a law that is passed by the state legislature uh, for Schuylkill County that says the charters for any of these companies, uh, they, they, they couldn't create these large uh, kind of conglomerate companies. Sure. So it was each of these little mines was open, open by uh, an independent uh, owner. And so each of the miners and the laborers that worked for those mine owners, you know, they're looked at as they have a, this, this very close relationship between the owner and the worker. And so there's not really a, a need to have a large union at this point because there was a very personal relationship between the owner and the, and the worker. In the 1860s, that starts to change. Uh, one of the key points in that is the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War breaks out and it shoots the price of anthracite coal through the ceiling. Um, and because of the, the necessity, the importance of coal in the Union war effort, uh, the U.S. Navy uses anthracite from northeastern Pennsylvania uh, in its ships. Uh, it's used to fuel industry across the north as well. And so this is going to drive up the price. There's so much demand. Um, and this is going to drive investment into the coal region. This is why um, you see, especially the towns of the, of the Mahanoy Valley, so um, Gerardville, Shenandoah, Mahanoy City, uh, as a result of the Civil War, those towns burst to life. And that is because of all of the investment pouring in. Mm -hmm. um, and because of all of this investment, um, they're starting to tap into and realizing just how much of, you know, how much wealth is here locked into these, into these mountains in this coal, in these reserves. And so these bigger companies start getting in, interested. Um, and the most important in the Molly Maguire story is the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad. Um, and this is, you know, the Reading Railroad. Um, they're going to become also going to spin off a subsidiary known as the Philadelphia and Reading Coal and Iron Company. Um, and these two com these these companies, uh, the Reading Railroad and, and Reading Coal and uh, Coal and Iron, these are going to be the the ones that are going to play a really important role in what happens with the Molly Maguires in the eight, late 1860s and early 1870s. And this is also going to spark that labor union uh, movement because as a company comes in and absorbs all of these little mines um, and, and creates this like larger uh, kind of conglomerate the relationship between the worker and management really changes and becomes mm -hmm. much more uh, modern as we would, if we would recognize it today, instead of having an individual relationship where you know who you're ultimately, who is in charge of the entire operation, uh, you're dealing with middle management and you're never actually having a voice heard at sure. the very top of the chain. And this allows for the company to start really clamping down on working conditions. Um, working conditions worsen in the 1860s and 1870s pay is decreased and this is going to drive these miners to organize and getting to your comments about how did they do it the labor organizers use the newspapers they use public announcements they use speeches um and there are some really interesting characters that play a role in creating um what becomes the first the first union in in the coal region the first really successful union um which is going to be the working men's benevolent association which is going to be initially founded in St. Clair in in Schuylkill County hmm. um but will eventually spread through the coal region in the early, in the early 1870s um before being ultimately uh crushed and destroyed by uh by the Reading Railroad. So is there a famous Molly Maguires? I mean was there was there was there a leader of the Molly Maguires that kind of is, is a is a a legend in terms of of the the old folklore? 
Yeah, the folklore the folklore puts this as uh, as a, a fascinating character um, of of John Kehoe, um, who was a uh, uh, an Irish immigrant who um, was a originally a miner, but ends up becoming a uh, becoming a tavern owner in in uh, Gerardville. Uh, the tavern's still there, still owned by the descendants of the family. You can still go visit it. It's an amazing place. Um, but he becomes this kind of central figure in in this in the folklore story in the drama as the leader of the Molly Maguires, and he is a leader of uh, he he is one of the the leaders of a an Irish uh, secret organization in the in the coal region um, in Schuylkill County that is going to play a role in this, and that's the Ancient Order of Hibernians, which is an Irish society uh, with secret vows. Um, very similar to other civic organizations that have these secret vows, like mm-hmm. the Masons, um, like other organizations. But it was it was specifically for for Irish, and so this is going to become the because of their like cloak and dagger kind of ceremonies, um, and the fact that people couldn't didn't really know what they were what they were doing at these meetings. Um, that organization, the Ancient Order of Hibernians, is going to be kind of cast as the 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 front for this secret organization that's known as the Molly Maguires. But I think it's a really important point to throw in. And this is one of the things that I, um, and you'll start to see this if you follow the blog as I get a little bit further into the story. And there are some great historians who have done work on this, uh, is that that story of, of this, you know, you have a central organizer, you have Jack Kehoe, uh, Black Jack Kehoe that organized it. And he's ultimately going to be executed as being one of the ringleaders of the Molly Maguires. When you start to get into it, you realize that all of this, the whole story, Molly Maguire's, this shadowy organization um, that is organizing and, and murdering and intimidating people in the coal region, it is all myth. Hmm. Uh, all of these, these uh, alleged organizations that are, are you know, committing this violence, they didn't really exist. Um, and that's what you you realize when you start to get into it, that it is a figment. Uh, it is created a narrative that is created by the railroad companies to tar the labor unions and Irish mine workers as being violent, as being uh, regressive, and that we need to all follow along with what the railroad companies and the mining companies are doing because they're bringing about order in the coal region, and they're ultimately going to uh, move the region into uh, into the industrial revolution and make it into a modernized society. Hmm. Um, and so this is it's this drama that plays out with the, the coal region as a backdrop um, that is going to play out other places throughout the uh, throughout the United States later on in the 19th century, where you're going to see this battle between labor and and capital um, that is going to play out not only in the coal industry, but then later in the steel industry uh, and many other industries across the United States. So like uh, this John Kehoe, did he lived in Gerardville or, or I mean, did, how did he like, how did he make a living? I mean, was he just kind of like, how, how did he make money? So, uh, there's a, uh, there's a great there's a great um, book that gets into kind of how how coal region communities existed, who the people were, how they how they went about doing their living, and it's a the book called Saint Clair. It looks specifically at Saint Clair, um, huh. at the town, um, and how it was how it was created, um, and and but it, what's important about that is it looks at it looks at how people could 
could rise and find what we would call the their American dream. Um, and for for the Irish um, who are coming in in the 1840s and the 1850s, their opportunities are, are virtually nil um, because they are held down as this lowest caste in society. Um, and this is where a lot of their anger is going to come from. Um, but one of the opportunities that they have is they can work their way up through um, they, they can only work so far up into the, the mining hierarchy. So they can only work so far up because a lot of times they're discriminated against and are prevented from becoming actual miners. Miners being uh, a, a role that is not, we, we kind of cast all people working in the mine as miners, but miners were actually the skilled workers. In oh, the mine. Well, I, I uh, never these knew are the that. ones okay. who, who are. Yeah, so um, so Irish, the Irish are, are most often the, the laborers. These are the unskilled workers who are going to go in. They're going to be the ones shoveling all the coal, sorting all the coal. The miners, they're a class above. They're the ones who are going in and they're placing the explosives. They're making the decisions about where the hmm. mine is going to go next, um, how they're actually going to process all this coal. And then um, once it, they blow up their, their charges and the coal comes tumbling down, then their unskilled laborers are going to be the ones who are going to go and actually clean things up. And so this hierarchy means that there's only so far that an Irishman uh, could go in this time period. Um, later, once we get into the 1870s, a little later into the 1880s, it begins to change as we start to see more immigrants coming in, immigrants from places like Italy, um, who are going to come in and are going to actually take up those lower roles and give opportunities for the Irish to rise up. But at the time of the Molly Maguire's uh, incidents in the 1860s and the 1870s, it's just not, not possible. Um, and so what a lot of Irish Irish uh, mine workers as they're they're trying to get some money together, they're saving money. They're uh, collectively as families doing this. Uh, one of the opportunities for for Irishmen that you're going to see them take uh, are to open up taverns, um, to open up bar rooms or restaurants. Um, and this is going to be what um, what quite a number of of Irishmen will do in this time period, including including Jack or uh, John Jack Kehoe is going to do in Gerardville, former mine worker going to open up a, a tavern, um, Hibernian house. Um, and that's where he's going to make his living then, um, as a, as a hotel owner, as a, as a tavern owner. Sorry, my dog's, uh, he's getting excited about this. <laughs> um, yeah, so, <laughs> so what, what kind of rights were they looking for? Like a shorter work day, just safer conditions in general. Like what was there, was there one sticking point where they're like, look, this is ridiculous. You know, these, these laborers, can't work a 12 hour day or something like that or health insurance. What, what were they looking for? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a, you know, a, a fascinating topic for me. I'm very interested in labor history personally. And so what, when you, when you look at what they're asking for, uh, they're asking for, for safer working conditions. Um, in the 1860s, there is, um, there are virtually no laws regarding mine safety in America. Um, and so they're, they're looking for that, uh, for, for legislation there. Um, they ultimately get it. It's going to take, uh, a, a massive disaster in Luzerne County to do it. The Avondale mine disaster in September of 1869, um, that killed 110 people, um, changes mine safety laws. So they, they, they get that, um, in the late 1860s. Um, but there's still, still big problems with, with mine safety legislation. Uh, they're looking for shorter work day. These guys are sometimes working, you know, 12, 14, 16 hour days. Um, it's brutal. 
it's brutal. Their whole lives are, are lived out in these, in these mines and these shafts that they're going into that are very unsafe. Um, and they're breathing in all that dust as well, working six days a week. So they're looking for a shorter day. In fact, um, one of the things that the WBA, the, the Working Men's Benevolent Association, will look for is the eight-hour day. Um, that will not be successfully gained for another 40 years um, until, uh, in, until the uh, late uh, uh, 19, like right around the 19-teens. Um, when that will be finally, they will get the, the eight hour day, but they're really looking for, a, uh, they're also looking for, uh, de- dealing with, uh, with pay. Um, they're getting really the short shrift, um, these mine workers, um, in this 1860s, 1870s time period, uh, the coal industry kind of collapses as, as a result of the civil war. And so, uh, in order for these railroad companies to continue paying out dividends to shareholders, uh, which they don't want to cut because everything all everything revolves around the shareholder. Uh, instead of cutting dividends, they cut miners and workers' pay. Mm. Um, sometimes down to the fact where these these people couldn't buy food. Um, they're they're borderline starving, um, and so this is going to drive these workers to try to to organize, um, and that's what they're fighting for. So it's this combination of of better working conditions, better pay. Uh, shorter hours, um, and just trying to make their lives livable. Now, were they ultimately successful? Like, was overall, were the Mali successful in kind of advocating for the stuff and, and kind of getting results? No. So, again, going to the, 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 the idea, this myth of the Mali Maguires as the central organization, uh, what is actually happening in this time period is, is you're, you're getting, essentially, the coal region was a lawless place. Mm-hmm. Especially if you get into northern northern Schuylkill County areas of Carbon County, Luzerne County, and, and parts of Columbia County as well, uh, they're lawless. The, there's no uh, there's no organization. Um, there's there's you know sheriffs are all in you know the sheriff and 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 deputies are mostly located in in Pottsville and the bigger towns. And so these areas, especially Gerardville, Shenandoah, Mahanoy City, um, you get out into even even Tamaqua, um, you get into these some of these farther flung areas, and there's no law there in the 1860s and the 1870s. And so people exploit that. Uh, one of the big crimes that you would see at the time was highway robbery. Um, you did not travel the roads between towns like Gerardville and Shenandoah and Gilberton, Frackville at night. You, you still don't. You still don't want to do that. Uh, you get robbed. Um, there's a lot of violence and, and murder that takes place that is unrelated to to the labor uh, to the labor movement. Um, but what a lot of workers do when they when they get frustrated um, and and they're going to take it out on on management. And so what ends up happening is this is the, a lot of the violence that takes place is not centralized. It is uh, it is local. Um, it is decisions made by, by, by workers who are in individual mines, individual collieries, who are going to make these decisions to, to uh, be violent. In many cases, they're going to be under the influence of alcohol. Alcohol plays an incredibly important role in, in a lot of the violence that takes place in this era. And so this violence that takes place, the, the beatings of, of mine superintendents and engineers, um, of management, the, the murder in some cases, the burning down of, of mines, of collieries, uh, this is ultimately harmful. 
uh, for the labor movement. And the labor movement understands this. So there's a great uh, character in this drama um, who I've written a little bit about, looking forward to exploring him more, named John Finey, um, who is a, a, an Irish immigrant, lived in St. Clair. He's the central organizer of the, of the WBA, of that first union. And his thing is that he doesn't want violence. He wants the union to stay organized and, and collectively work together to influence and cajole the mining companies into giving workers their rights. And violence actively undermines the work of the union. And so he does his best to tamp down that violence um, through, the, through the early 1870s. But what ends up happening, so they're successful. The, the, the union is successful at first in, in organizing, working with these mining companies. But what ends up happening is these bigger companies get involved. The Reading Railroad comes in. Uh, they have a dastardly president um, named uh, Benjamin Franklin Gallen or, or Frank Gallen um, who comes in. He buys up most of Schuylkill County. Um, the mines there um, are all going to be absorbed, mostly going to be absorbed by, by the Reading Railroad's um, subsidiaries. Um, and he crushes the union in 1875. He, he destroys it. Um, by a combination of, um, uh, you know, just basically uh, not giving any, any, uh, not giving any ground to the union. And so the union goes on strike um, and he refuses to negotiate with them. And because they have no means of feeding themselves, miners eventually start to go back to work and the union ultimately falls apart. Um, but when that happens, these workers who have put all of their eggs in the union basket are now realizing that they just got screwed. And so they're going to lash out. And that is when you're going to see this violence really take place. There's a, a, a ramp up in violence in 1875 when the union is destroyed in 1876. And then the, the trials, the arrests and trials of, of the alleged Molly Maguires will take place um, in 1876 and, the, and, and 1877. And, and what, what were they ultimately arrested for and, and, and hung for? So for murder, um, there's going to be a series of murders that are going to be highlighted and used as um, these are basically show trials. Um, they, these men are, are kind of plucked. Many of them belong to the ancient order of Hibernians, um, and they're going to be accused of, of murdering. Um, usually it's, it's mining uh, uh, superintendents. Um, there's a Tamaqua policeman that is murdered. Um, there are uh, a number of citizens whose, whose murders uh, are going to be brought up into this trial, one of them dating so far back to, to the Civil War era, to 1862. That's going to be John Kehoe um, is accused of murdering, hmm. a, uh, uh, murdering someone in 1862 during the Civil War. The trial, his trial is taking place in 1876 and 1877. Um, so you see he's being charged for murder for something that was you know, 16 years earlier. Um, and he is, uh, you know, he contends he had nothing to do with it. And that's what you see with a lot of these trials is that when you, you, you look at, um, when, you, when you look into this, um, you start to see that, um, you know, a lot of what these men were accused of doing, they likely did not do. Um, or um, there are other circumstances that, um, that play that are not brought up into these trials at all. They are merely these, these trials that took place to, to execute these men, and 20 men are ultimately going to be, going to be hanged for, for the Molly Maguire um, crimes. When you look at it, it is a lot of circumstantial evidence. Um, it is a lot, it's the case that the, the companies kind of 
took over these these courtrooms. Um, in fact, Benjamin Franklin Gowan is going to uh, play a role as a special prosecutor in some of these <laughs> in some of these trials. So he is actively taking a part in this. Um, and so it's this case where you just see that um, it served his ends, it served his company's ends. And so if that meant 20 men had to go to the gallows for him to get what he wanted, that's what was going to happen. Now, when they hung him, was it like a public hanging or was it done in private or? So they were. Um, so the first executions take place uh, in June of 1877. And that's the that's the uh, story that that I think you saw. Um, that uh, of what happened in the Pottsville prison on June 21st, 1877. Uh, that becomes known as the Day of the Rope in, in the coal region. Um, ten men are executed, six in Pottsville, four in, in Mock Chunk or, or Jim Thorpe. Um, and uh, these were uh, public executions, uh, although the, the, they was very strictly limited as to who could attend. Um, basically had to have a ticket to see it. Uh, there's not that much room inside of either of these prisons. Um, but people waited outside uh, these jails. Um, citizens gathered from, from miles away to come and to, to be in, in the area when these executions took place. Um, as well as you had, uh, and, and this is the, kind of the reason that the, the, this, became a cultural phenomenon. And, and if you ask people even outside the coal region, if they've ever heard of the Molly Maguire, they hear, they, they will say, you know, I've, I've heard the term, I don't really know what it means. And that cultural identifier, the people that, the fact that people can identify what the Molly Maguires are, or at least have heard the name is because it was a huge national press story. There were newspaper reporters uh, there from all over the country uh, to write about what was happening here in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Now, was that the end of the Molly Maguires after that day? <laughs> no, there are a series of executions that are going to take place in the uh, in the uh, months that follow, um, going into 1878 and 1879. Uh, by that time, the uh, attention had turned off. People were, um, you know, didn't really care anymore. Um, also, the violence had served this. This violence had served its end. Um, people were intimidated. You didn't go up against. Frank Gallon and his company. Uh, you didn't. Uh, you, you didn't try to organize a union. Um, that's not going to be really accomplished uh, for another thirty years. Um, they're going to have a successful, another really successful union. Um, so Gowan got what he wanted. He was able to use this by by claiming that there was this shadowy organization, the Molly Maguires, and then hanging twenty men. Uh, he was able to to satisfy um, this kind of blood urge that he had to prove a point, to threaten people, to ultimately carry out that threat, and to show that the companies were powerful and all-powerful and don't test them um, because this is the kind of violence that they can wield um, by, by subverting um, the, the state, by sub subverting the powers of, of both the, the, the law uh, and the court. Um, we haven't mentioned this at all, but you know the the companies ran the police ran a police force. Uh, there was the coal and iron police. They're going to come into the into the coal region in the 1870s. Uh, they're going to be the ones largely arresting these men. Hmm. Uh, then you're also going to be seeing the uh, the Pinkerton Detective Agency, so a private detective agency paid for by these companies, coming in and hunting down um, 
and bringing, you know, the, destroying this alleged shadowy organization. So it's a, it, like I said at the very beginning of this, it is much more complicated than we, sure. than we really believe. The, the Molly Maguires are, are shaded in this in this black and white kind of way that either, you know, there's people, even when I post this online, these articles, you know, you see like, oh, they were freedom fighters. They were fighting for their freedom. Like, love the Molly Maguires. They were doing great work. Or you see people saying, you know, oh, they, they murdered people. They were horrible. And and it's not that simple. Right. Um, when you when you really look into it, um, there are so many things that, that you need to understand to be able to put this in its proper historical context to understand why this violence was taking place and ultimately who was responsible for it. And it was not a shadowy group called the Molly Maguire. Now, did you know, like if you, if you grew up, you know, you were in the area in 1870s, if you saw Molly Maguire, did you know, like you were talking to one or were they kind of like, I, I'm thinking, you know, Italian, like I'm thinking like, are they like almost like mafia people? Like you kind of know, but you don't know, or you have a suspicion and that kind of thing. Or, or was it kind of very secret? Oh, I mean, I, I think you would, you would, uh, there was a lot of suspicions of people being, being quote unquote Molly Maguire's and there were gangs. Um, there were, there were ethnic gangs in, in the coal region, um, based along, uh, of course, on Irish lines, um, also on, um, English and Welsh lines. Um, there's a, an epic battle between these gangs, kind of gangs of New York style, hmm. um, in, in Mahanoy city in the 1870s, um, they they controlled the uh, you know there was different ethnic fire departments that fought each other. Uh, there was a you know this this was a this was a crazy time. Um, I'm actually watching uh, uh, the the HBO series Deadwood for the first time. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've ever gotten. I, I've never watched it. I heard it's it. amazing. Yeah, it's it's great and it's it's set in this old west mining town in in the South Dakota territory. And what I find striking watching it is that you know it's like a lawless place is that it bears striking resemblance to, to what is happening in towns like Gerardville and Mahanoy City and Shenandoah in the, at the same time. Huh. Uh, the difference being this is 100 miles from Philadelphia and New York. Right. Um, this is in the, in the heart of the East. You're having Old West kind of violence that is taking place in this lawless place. Um, and, but people would have been, you know, they, I'm sure that they had uh, ideas that people might have been, they might have called them Molly Maguire's. Um, you certainly see people threatening. There's threatening notes that are sent to people that are alluding to the Molly Maguires. Um, but ultimately, again, much of this violence is much more localized. Um, it, is, it is individuals taking action. It is not being guided by some larger shadowy organization in order to intimidate certain people. Uh, it is being made by you know, people in a tavern, in a bar room, who are, who are drinking too much and they all have weapons. And they decide that somebody needs to die or someone needs to be threatened. Um, that is the case for much of this violence. And there are plenty of roughs um, that you didn't mess with in these towns in this time period. Hmm. Um, and people would have would have been very wary uh, of those kinds of people. Now, if uh, I know they made a movie with Sean Con Connery, is that I, I never saw. Is that historically accurate or do they take a lot of liberties with that? Oh, there are a lot of there are a lot of liberties. Again, it's it's looking at the um, there. There are many of these stories that are going to be written and kind of where this myth comes from. It, it ultimately the, the myth, the narrative that is told is ultimately the narrative that is shaped by the by by the railroad companies um, and by the private detectives. 
Uh, some of the first stories that are going to be published about this are going to be published by Alan Pinkerton, the runner of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. And he is going to play this as his organization, the Pinkerton Detective Agency, crushed the Molly Maguires. Um, that's what you see in the in the in the movie. Um, you know, they, they do try to, to talk a little bit about the morality um, of, in terms of like, you know, the companies are, are exacting their own violence on these men and these men are fighting back against that. Uh, but again, they're showing this organization as a as an actual, you know, sh- an actual shadowy group um, that is ultimately behind this violence. And that is, again, not really the case. Um, you, you see that, you know, this violence, again, is, is being committed by individuals. It is not necessarily being centrally organized and, and ordered by any group. Awesome. Jake, you, you were you were great. You uh, you have a very uh, a knack for this telling a great story. We, we, we've been talking for 35 minutes and, and it felt like five minutes. So kudos to you. Um, I think our listeners will definitely enjoy this. Can you still this is my last question. Can you, you can still go to the prison, right, and see where they were hung? That I don't. Um, in mock chunk, yes, um, you you could. I'm not sure if you're still still able to go. I know that they were going through a sale process right. there. That they, there was a jail museum. I'm not sure how that has how that has finally shaken out. But um, uh, the uh, state, um, the um, Pennsylvania Historic Museums um, uh, Commission, the PHMC, um, has uh, put up markers at both of the sites. Hmm. Um, and so you can go outside of the, of the very, very creepy Schuylkill County jail, um, which I say is, is very spooky looking, um, <laughs> up on the hill in, in Pottsville. Um, and there is a, there are markers on the exterior of the prison that you can see, um, dedicated to the Molly Maguires. Um, uh, and, and again, the, the modern narrative about this has really shifted and viewed that, um, this whole Molly Maguire, the trials and ultimately the executions are really a travesty of justice. Um, they are, they made a mockery of, of, of the law, um, of the courts. And, and that's important for us to understand today. And that's ultimately what those markers reflect. Awesome. Jake, I definitely learned a lot. Um, I'm sure I'm going to have you back on, uh, cause you, you, you know, your uh, local coal region stuff and, and you tell uh, a great story. Um, so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.